BBC. I greet you this morning all the way from Limpopo and in the wonderful name of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ. Just to let you know that I miss you all, especially all my Sunday hugs that I get from all the other early birds that join me at the 8 o'clock service. Just also to let you know that I'm praying for you all. Lots of love. Take care. God bless. Till we meet again. Good morning, SBC. Nikita here. I hope that you're all doing well. Missing everybody so much. And can't wait to be back to all together at a service. I'm praying for everybody. I hope you're all keeping well and staying safe. And don't forget your mask. Bye. 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 Hi Sterling, miss you guys a lot, uh, can't wait until we get back to you normal and we can see you all again, bye. Good morning SBC, Matt and Kath the Clack here uh, from the 6pm. We are so excited to be with you this morning and cannot wait to meet once again soon. We just think about Paul in Thessalonians where he talks about since we were torn away from you for a short time in person and not in heart. We endeavoured the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face. And I think that's definitely our desire and uh, we're hoping that everyone will be a little bit more recognisable now that the hairdressers are open. <laughs> but we'll see you soon. Hi SBC! Hi SBC, greetings from the Fonsal Smith family. We miss you guys. It's been a long time and uh, it's just not the same without being able to gather around a good cup of coffee after church. So we're all really looking forward to getting back to Kennington Road and uh, fellowshipping with you guys. So be strong, uh, be courageous, and keep in God's word. We're looking forward to seeing you guys at church soon. Bye. Bye. <laughs> and hello from me and welcome to the service, guys. Can you believe that we've been on lockdown for over a hundred days already? This is our 15th online message. We've had nearly 30 midweek moments. We've sent out numerous emails and made many, many phone calls, all in an effort for us to stay connected as a community during this time. Guys, we got saved into community. We are meant to express our faith in community. And so it's challenging not to be able to do that in this season. But I really wanna encourage you today to make use of the tools that you do have on hand to um, really dig into your small group or your text group in this season. And then not to forget that nothing can separate you from the love of God. You have God's presence and God's word in your homes and I trust that you're digging deep into that during this time and really strengthening your personal relationship with the Lord. Until we can be together again, we would love to see you and hear from you though. And so if you want to be featured in our pre-service greetings, please would you drop me a message at kerryatsbc.za.net and we'll slot you into the schedule. We want to see as many SBC faces uh, before our services as possible in the coming weeks. So don't be shy, drop us a video of you and your family saying hello to the SBC church. We'd also love to hear your faith at home victories. And so if you have had a special God moment with your children or teens during this season, we would love to hear about that, to share it, to encourage those families that are pulling hard at this time. We also want to remind you that we've got a family fun night coming up next week, Saturday. It is an all ages event, eight o'clock next week, Saturday on our YouTube channel. We're going to have a special Independence Day theme. We're going to have lots of laughs together and we'd love you to join us for that. As we continue into this morning's service, we've got Anne and Peter Johnson coming up who will pray us into the service. Mark Wood is going to bring God's word. We're going to take communion together. And so if you don't have your elements lined up, maybe you want to hit pause and go grab them. Then we'll dive into a time of worship together to close off our service. As always, if you would like to give to the Lord this morning, you're welcome to do that via EFT. 
and if God has laid anything on your heart that you can share with us, please drop that in the comment section. We would love to hear um, any of the pictures or scriptures that God has laid on your heart for us as an SBC family. Have a great service, guys, and I hope to see you soon. Good morning, SBC. We're going to read some scripture for you, and then we're going to pray together. I'm going to ask Anne to read from 1 Peter chapter 5. Reading from verse 6. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that He may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on Him, because He cares for you. In verse 10. And the God of all grace, who called you to His eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will Himself restore you, and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To Him be the power forever and ever. Amen. Father, we thank You for the way that You love and discipline Your children. We humble ourselves under Your mighty hand. We cast all of our anxieties upon You. We are so thankful that You, the almighty God of the universe, care for each of Your children. Forgive us for our doubts and fears. We turn our hearts towards you. We pray for each of our SBC family as they face many and varied challenges in these days. We encourage ourselves in the truth that you have called us to your eternal glory and that though we might suffer for a little while, you will restore us and make us strong, firm and steadfast. May we each glorify your name each and every day of our lives. We love you, Lord. Yes. Amen. Amen. So we hand over to Matthew. We trust that the Lord will bless you as you listen to his word and apply it to our lives in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Good morning, SBC. My name is Mark, and I'm one of the elders at SBC. And it's a privilege for me to bring the Word of God to you this morning. Um, we're going to be in the book of Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And I've asked Brent Heaney to do the scripture reading for us this morning. So over to you, Brent. Good morning, SPC. The reading today is taken from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 1 to 7. Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you received from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles, who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this manner, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things, as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Thanks, Brent. I'm going to kick things off this morning with a, a story. Um, it's my strength. So I'm a Liverpool fan, a massive Liverpool fan. I've been a fan for 30 years. Uh, there's been a lot of pain and disappointment and heartache, very few highs. But I do remember a special evening back in 2005. It was a Wednesday evening. 
Against all odds, this mediocre uh, Liverpool team had somehow found their way into the biggest game uh, in club football, the Champions League final. Um, and it was certainly the biggest game of my life as a fan. And I was uh, hugely excited about watching my team play. The only problem I had, I had a dilemma. It was a Wednesday night and so it was a, a cell night. And the whole day I wrestled with this thought of uh, maybe I should just call in sick or come up with some excuse. I really want to watch this game. At some point, the Holy Spirit just convicted me and uh, had to ask myself the question, what do I love more? Uh, do I love my football more? Do I love God more? And, and obviously, I um, love God more. And um, he gave me the, the strength to make the right decision there. And uh, I ended up going to a small group and hanging out with my friends and learning more about God. And I don't regret, and I didn't regret that decision at all at any moment. But when the small group had ended, I did get in my car and uh, motored on home and switched on the TV to see if there was any other game left. And uh, it was half time. Uh, so I was quite excited because I got to see the second half until I saw the scoreline. And at half time, uh, the score was 3 0 um, to AC Milan. And AC Milan were this world class team. They were the best team in world football at the time, uh, star studded team. We were these underdogs. And. Um, we really needed a lot of luck to get anywhere. And here we were, half-time, 3-0. And even the British commentator, who was biased, uh, the first thing I heard was him say, this match is over. And and I hate saying that. And so um, I sat down, got a cup of coffee, and just expected to watch this game kind of peter out. And But an amazing thing happened. Uh, what followed was the greatest comeback, and there's some bias in my thinking for sure, but it's the greatest comeback in uh, Champions League history, and many still call the 2005 final uh, the best final uh, Champions League final that there ever was. And I got to watch uh, my team come back from three goals down and uh, take the game into extra time and eventually go on to win in penalties and become champions. Uh, it was amazing. What's the point of my story with regards to our sermon this morning, other than just to walk you down memory lane with my friends uh, who are Liverpool fans? Well, in verse 1, Paul says, Finally then, brethren, we ask and urge. And when you see back-to-back -back verbs in the Hebrew writing, um, it speaks about what follows being of paramount importance. So you almost need to do a double check when you see that and go, okay, I need to actually pay attention here because something important is about to come. So Paul says, we ask and we urge. And the second verb is clearly stronger than the first verb. Um, and even in the English language, we know that an urge is urging someone is like a strong ask. When I did the the, the word study, the Greek word is a beautiful word. It's very descriptive and it says, uh, Urge means parakaleo. And parakaleo means literally to come alongside and to lift up to another level. And when I read that, the picture I got in my mind was Steven Gerrard, Liverpool's only uh, good player, surrounded by people of much lesser talents than him, getting up to score the header to take the game to 3-1 and I'll never forget he was the captain and he's running back and he's just uh, shouting at the team saying come on we can do this come on and he was able to grab these mediocre guys by the scruff of the neck and pull them up and for the next 45 minutes that whole team played their hearts out to pull off 
this unlikely victory. And I can see Paul doing something very similar here. I mean, we know Paul has one of the strongest, most intimate relationships with the Lord that we see in all of Scripture. But he's not comfortable in just having that for himself. His heart's burden is that others and the churches would experience God in that way. And he's really like, I feel like he's saying to me, Mark, come on, man. You're doing okay, but there's much more. Let's go. Let's do this. And what is he calling us to and what is he urging us towards? Well, it says later in the verse that um, he is... uh, um, urging us towards uh, walking with the Lord, how we should walk with Him, and how to please Him. That's got to be the goal of the Christian life. We want to walk closely with the Lord and we want to, to please Him. And, and Paul's urging us uh, to, towards that. Um, and the walk, you know, when we think about walking with someone, you can see what's happening there. The people are in close proximity, there's friendship, um, uh, a level of communion, and that's how the Christian relationship with God should be. It's it's likened to a walk. God is with us, but He's leading us, and He wants us to be close by, and He wants us to stay close. And when we do that, we please Him. Unfortunately, as we know, we so often get distracted and move off in different directions and go on our own tangents. Um, and sometimes we just willfully do not want to follow Him and stay Uh, behind parking off stubbornly in sin in some way Um, and so uh, what Paul is saying here is guys get out of that and come alongside him and walk with him and please him. Ray Steadman says the Christian walk is very similar to a normal walk and a normal walk consists of two steps and you just repeat them uh, every day And uh, the two things that a Christian walk really is, is step one is we put off the old man. Now, um, the old man is who we used to be before we came to know Christ. It was us in our sinfulness, chasing after all of our sinful pleasures to satisfy ourselves. Um, And that old guy, unfortunately, hangs around. He doesn't just go off into the night quietly when we give our lives to Christ. He wants to stay. He's like an uninvited guest that somehow just keeps showing up. And we have to choose to put him out. We have to choose to put him off. And unfortunately, sometimes we let him hover. Sometimes we let him take a seat. Sometimes we let him take residence. And we start to look a lot like we looked before. But if you want to walk closely with the Lord, the first thing you're going to have to get better at doing is putting off the old man. And that's a daily um, struggle. He's going to keep coming back every day. And so don't think he's, I'm going to get to the point where he's just not going to show up because I'm going to be so holy. The old man is going to keep coming back for the rest of your life until we get to glory. And so sanctification and the Christian walk is all about learning how to deny that and how to say no to that and put it off and not embrace that. But if that's all you're doing, putting off the old man, putting off the old man, if that's the only part to your walk, you're not really walking, are you? That's one step. That's a hop. The second thing we need to do on a daily basis is put on the new man. And the new man is who we are being made to be in Christ. God is making us more like him. And one day we will be perfect like him. 
In the meantime, it's a slow process where he works on our character and changes us, but we uh, embrace that. We uh, surrender to that. We submit to that. We are filled with the Holy Spirit. We put on the new man and we grow in uh, holiness and, and in obedience. And those are things we've got to do every day. Put off the old man, put on the new man, and the guys who walk closely to the Lord are good at that. They've gotten good at that. They know how to do that. They, they don't let this guy hang around and they're really good at embracing what God's doing in their life and, and being open to him and surrendering to him and allowing him to uh, do this wonderful work uh, inside of them. And Paul's calling us to, to be like that. And what I love is um, he, uh, uh, if you look at what comes next, he really encourages the Thessalonians. There are some churches that he wrote to where he had to really be strict and he had to admonish them. But to the Thessalonians, what he actually says is, as you are already doing. And I want to encourage you, Sterling, when I prepared for this and prayed about this, I felt like that's what the Lord was saying about SBC, that we are like the Thessalonians. In large part, there are some of us parking off and doing the wrong thing and frustrating our own walks with the Lord. But a lot of us are our hearts are for God. We love Him. We're trying to walk with Him. We're trying to be, step in obedience. We want to grow in that. And we're doing well. And so just like Paul, I want to say to you, as you are already doing well done, but now he goes on to say in verse 1, even more so. Even more. There's no time for complacency here. There's no time for, man, I'm doing so well. I'm going to take a, a, a backseat here. We need to be hungry for God. We need to be hungry for intimacy. And wherever we are, we need to push for more. If I think about my family walks, um, my wife loves to walk. I don't love to walk. I walk because um, I like my wife and I want to do what she wants to do. And I enjoyed our, our walks a lot more before we had kids. Um, now that we've got kids, uh, you get this picture in your mind, you know, you see this family holding hands, smiling. There's a beautiful picture of a family walk. Well, our, our family walks disintegrate into something like uh, complaining and uh, moping and dragging of feet. And, and that's just me. I mean, the kids are much worse. They're running off in the wrong direction. They're endangering themselves. They're lying prostrate, uh, refusing to move. And many a walk has ended with uh, the father picking up a non-compliant child, throwing them over the shoulder, muttering to his breath, how I'm never going to do this ever again. Um, that's kind of the frustrating level our family walks uh, have gotten to. Maybe some of you can relate to that. And when I was preparing this, the Lord showed me something. He said, Mark, sometimes you are exactly like your, your kid. Sometimes you say you want to walk with me, but you lose focus, you're moving off in the wrong direction, you're endangering yourself because you're not in line with my word and with my will, and sometimes you're just parking off, you like deliberately just want to be there and are going, no, I'm not going any further, I'm staying right here. And we abuse God's faithfulness because he stays with us because he's faithful to us and we go, okay, well then this is all right. But what God's actually doing in that space isn't looking and smiling upon us while we sit down and frustrate where he wants to take us. He frowns at that and he calls us out of that and he says, come, come to me and walk with me. There's more I want to show you. There's more I want to do uh, in your life. And I really want to uh, urge some of you. I think some of us are stuck in stubborn thinking and stubborn behavior and holding on to the fact that we do have a relationship with God and he's hovering around there somewhere. Um, but 
God's calling more out of us. We need to soften our hearts, get up and walk with him. Um, if I, if God had to come to me and say, Mark, here's a blank canvas and I want you to paint a picture. I'm terrible at painting, but let's just assume I could do this. I want you to paint a picture of what church could look like. What would you want it to look like? My picture would look like a whole group of people, not just a few, not just one or two Pauls, but really a, a whole congregation of people who love God, who are walking with him in a close relationship, who are soft-hearted towards him, quick to repent from sin, living in purity, living in maturity, and overflowing with love and overflowing with the power of the Holy Spirit in their lives and being very effective in their ministry and what God wants to do. And many people getting saved around them because they can see real, genuine life happening. And that's the, the picture of church I want us to get to. I think we're on our way. And I think that's what the Lord's saying. Uh, We're on that trajectory. That's what he's going to do. But we've got to surrender uh, to that. And there are things holding us back. I'm going to get there um, in a moment. Uh, In verse 3, God says, uh, Paul writes something very interesting. Uh, And he says, he starts to talk about God's will. How many times have you asked, I wish I knew what God's will was for my life. I wish I knew what God wanted me to do right now. Um, I want to testify to to God's uh, goodness and faithfulness in my own life. I'm not perfect. I don't get it right all the time. I often uh, get it wrong and I'm even disobedient even when I know what I should do. But there have been many times in my life where I've sought God for his face, for his will, for my life. And he has revealed it to me in the scriptures. He has revealed it to me in prayer times. He's revealed it to me through just uh, my relationships with other Christians. God wants to uh, show you the direction he's taking you. He wants to do that. It's not a hidden, faraway thing that we somehow have to try and like find against all odds. God wants to reveal his will to you. And this morning, it's coming to you in verse 3 in the scriptures explicitly. You don't need to pray all night to figure this out or have some prophetic gifting uh, where someone's telling you exactly what it means. It says in verse 3 that this is the will of God. Your sanctification. How beautiful is that? God is showing us and telling us, guys, I want you to be sanctified. I want you to be more like me. And because we know that's what God wants, when we pray into that, we know we're praying in line with God's will. And we say, God, I want you to make me more like you. It's a brilliant prayer. God, I want you to soften my heart. I want you to help me to see things through your eyes. I want to be more like you. Build my character. Change it into yours. These are wonderful, wonderful prayers. When you're praying that, you can know you are in line with God's will. Sanctification simply means to, uh, you know, we were living in sin and the sinful world can be like uh, this like pool of sin. And God reaches his hands in and saves us and, and pulls us out and places us into a new sphere, into a new realm. I'm going to get there later. Uh, So he's set us apart. We're no longer a part of what's going on over here. We're something new and something different. And now he's given us purpose. So when you sanctify something, you give it purpose. It's set apart for a specific purpose. My toothbrush is sanctified to clean my teeth and be by my mouth. Woe unto me if my toothbrush starts landing in other places and doing other things. I do not want it to do that at all because it has a specific purpose. And it must uh, do the thing that I wanted to do. And that's what God 
um, does to, to us. He pulls us out of the sinful world. He uh, sets us apart and then he gives us a purpose uh, that he wants us to achieve. And he and it's not just like he gives you the purpose and then leaves you. He fills you with his Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit enables you to achieve that purpose. It's a relationship where we work together to achieve it, but it's empowered by the Spirit. A, a non-believer can never uh, please God in that way, can never fulfill God's purposes, but a believer through the power of the Holy Spirit can learn what is God's will for their life and can start to fulfill the function and the plan that he has uh, for their lives. It's a beautiful thing. Sometimes when we hear this is God's will, we think, okay, well then it's going to happen no matter what, so I'm just going to be passive and sit back. And I really want to warn you in this church, just because God says it's my will that you are sanctified, don't think that you are just going to be sanctified no matter what, so you can just sit back. There's two wills. The first will, and the one you're thinking of there, is, is God's decreed will. So that is when, thus saith the Lord, and it will be so, nothing and no one can change that or stop it. That's God's decreed will. The second will we see in Scripture is God's desired will. And God's desired will can be frustrated. It can be limited. It can be restrained and pulled back. God desires that every single believer is sanctified and becomes more and more like him throughout their lives. But there are Christians who live their whole lives. If we go back to the other analogy of walking with God, they park off somewhere, refuse to walk anymore, abuse faithfulness and do their own thing. And they are not being sanctified, even though God wants it for them. Because sanctification requires us to play a part. There is some human responsibility here. It's not up to us. It's not dependent on us at all. Uh, it requires the Holy Spirit and it's enabled by the Holy Spirit. But the believer is able to uh, open up his heart and work with the Holy Spirit and, and walk with God and become more and more uh, like him. Don't assume it's just going to happen. There are many Christians who stay in a very low level of sanctification and are very miserable because of that. And God isn't pleased with their walk and the way that they're living. We don't want to be like that. Paul mentions next that one of the things that really frustrates and really holds back our sanctification is sexual immorality. He says it's God's will that you are sanctified and that you abstain from sexual immorality. Um, sexual immorality, church, I think is the number one weapon or the number one area that the enemy attacks us in uh, worldwide across the church. It's been that way in my life. Um, it's not my only uh, weakness. I have other weaknesses as well, for sure. But the sexual uh, immorality area has been an area in my life that I've struggled in and the enemy has used it to limit me and to restrain me from getting to the place where God wanted me to be. And if I just accept that in my life, if I just go, oh, well, this is going to be part of my life until I, I die and that's okay, I'm going to be a miserable Christian, and I am going to frustrate this process of sanctification that God wants to do in my heart. The question you should be asking when you hear abstain from sexual immorality and, and, and the impact it can have on you if you aren't doing that is you shouldn't be reading that going, oh, no, I'm not sexually immoral because sexually immoral for me is adultery or um, some heinous sexual sin. You really need to find out what sexual immorality really means because the Greek word is porneia, and it's a broad word. 
So you might come to me and say, Mark, please just be specific. Just tell me the exact things I mustn't do here so that I can make sure I'm in line. And I'm going to say to you, man, there is no uh, specific list. The list definitely includes uh, pornography. The root word porn is the same in both. Uh, it definitely includes uh, adultery, fornication, sex before marriage, uh, sex uh, with uh, multiple people, orgies, and, and so on and so on and so on. In fact, the better way, instead of thinking about, tell me a list of all the things I can't do, the better way to think about it is, where do we know that sex is good and okay? And there is a, a space for that. And uh, I look at the sex drive like a river. And it's in its riverbanks, and it's a strong drive. This river current is strong. Um, it's intense. But it, within those riverbanks, it's safe. And God sets in Scripture clear uh, boundaries around, around uh, sexual expression. And he says that um, sex is good in marriage between a man and a woman. That's your safe space. Um, you're doing well there. As soon as we start trying to uh, fudge the edges and make it a bit gray and can I land here or land here, you're in trouble because sexual immorality is broad and there is a safe space. And just like a river, when it breaks those banks, um, it can become a rampaging flood that just damages everything. So it is with sexual immorality. When we start to play around with the areas of sexual expression that are not okay in God's word, even if our culture says it's okay, we are in deep trouble. Two of the big ones I want to address, uh, I'm not going to spend too long here because uh, I, I won't finish the sermon, but uh, two of the ones that are really hitting our culture hard more so now than ever are pornography. Pornography is becoming okay. Some of you are not going to believe that, but I can tell you the surveys are showing that young people, teenagers and adults think that not recycling is more immoral than pornography. Pornography has become so pervasive, so in our faces, so a part of society that even in the Christian culture, the question is starting to come up, how bad is it? Like, what am I doing wrong here? Maybe it's okay. Maybe it's not part of sexual immorality. Obviously it is, because as I just showed you, the, the word wasn't uh, sexually immoral in, in English. The word is porneia in Greek. And pornography is made up of two Greek, two words, porneia and graph. And I don't know what the, didn't check that, uh, what the graph full word is, but those two go together. Porneia means sexually immoral and graph means picture. So pornography is really just pictures of sexually immoral um, acts. And when we expose ourselves to this, that though our culture may say, hey, this isn't so bad, you're not hurting anyone, you are outside of uh, God's word and the protection of uh, those banks. The second thing that is rife in our church and is present in our church, I know for a fact, are young people are more and more choosing to live together and sleep together before marriage. And reason it out and going, well, times are hard. Uh, it's hard to get your, your own place. Uh, we don't have a lot of money. We love each other. We'll end up getting married eventually. God's okay with us. Guys, you are outside of God's plan and God's revealed safety net in Scripture. It's dangerous, and you are not taking God seriously at His word. That is sexual immorality. That is fornication. That's what it means. Sex before marriage. 
God never said that was okay. And when we start to think it's okay just because everyone in our culture is doing it, we're in trouble. And that's going to have a massive impact on your sanctification. You, you're going to struggle to really walk with God and stay in step with Him and stay obedient to Him if there's a big area of your life that is just habitually uh, pulling you away from, from His will. Paul says, abstain. That actually means to flee. So not just don't do it and hover around, which we know is what we love to do whenever. That's why we ask, where's the line? Like, tell me what all the sexually immoral things, and if you forget to list one, then I know I can do that. It's the wrong way to think about it. We need to abstain, which means we need to, to flee. Think about Joseph. Joseph is in Potiphar's house. Potiphar's wife, I'm assuming she's beautiful. I don't know. But let's assume she's beautiful for the sake of the story. It does make it better. But Potiphar's wife comes after him, and he's a victim. I mean, he's just trying to do his job and suddenly this beautiful woman is throwing herself at him and he's a victim. He could be a happy victim. And some of us think that way. We kind of like hover around sin and stay in uh, areas where, where happy accidents can happen. And then, well, it wasn't our fault. But as soon as um, Joseph realizes there's a problem here, and I think he was tempted, he doesn't go, okay, I'm not allowed to have sex with her, but she is really pretty. And I'm just going to hang around here and have a cup of coffee and let her flirt with me because it makes me feel good. He doesn't hang about. He flees. Even when she grabs his tunic and he has to run off naked, he goes, so what? I am not staying here at all. If I stay here, if I hover here even for a moment, I am likely to land in a space where I'm going to hurt God and hurt myself. And I don't want to do that. Man, I often think of Joseph and uh, I respect him and I go Lord may I have the willpower and the wisdom in my weakest moments to abstain to run not to hover about and try and figure out where the line is Paul gives two uh, reasons that why we can abstain so afterwards he says that the Christian will know how to control their body now some of your translations will say vessel sorry, it will say wife. And that's because the original Greek word is literally vessel. So Paul in the Greek says, you will control your vessel. And some people have uh, interpreted vessel as wife and others have interpreted vessel as body. The ESV interprets it as body. And I think it's the correct translation because the context of the passage that we've been speaking about here is sexual immorality and uh, sanctification for all people. Um, so it has to be something that we all have. Not everyone has a wife, but we all have a body. And so Paul is saying that the Christian must know how. There's a knowledge that happens there. And there is a learning uh, involved with it. If I just think about my own life, when I was a teenager, um, I uh, made many unwise decisions when it came to sexual purity. Those mistakes that I made uh, and I'm talking about pornography, those mistakes that I made followed me through into uh, my young adulthood and eventually even into my marriage. I tried to get out of it. I prayed, I read scripture, I confessed, I went and spoke to people, and for a time it would work, it would help. But eventually at some point I would land back in it. And I've subsequently come to learn that I was struggling with addiction. I wasn't ready to face that. 
And an addiction isn't something we can get out of on our own or even with a quick prayer and a confession to someone. You really have to commit to a road to walk with uh, uh, someone who knows what they're doing uh, to help you get out of that. And that's why so many of us are struggling with uh, sexual sin in our life that might have become an addiction like pornography. Um, you've tried to get out of it. And you've tried to do the right things. You might even come up to a pastor and ask for prayer. But for some reason, it hangs around and you feel defeated. And you feel like it's going to be with you your, your whole life and you, you don't know what to do. And I want to encourage you. This is what Paul's saying here. We will learn. If we are walking in step with God, part of that sanctification process is a healing and a learning how to control. I am now far more able to control my uh, uh, body than I was uh, as a teenager and so don't give up if you have landed in sexual immorality most people have in some form um, uh, at some stage in their life God's not coming to you saying I'm writing you off uh, you've messed up here so I'm done with you Paul's saying whatever has happened in the past now abstain run flee let it be finished in your life and sanctification means that, that you will win the fight. You will win the war on, on lust that is uh, affecting your soul. The Christian is not meant to stay in a defeated place uh, uh, for, for all of their lives. They are not being obedient to the Spirit of God who is helping them. If we walk by the Spirit, we won't gratify the desires of the flesh. You can learn how to control your body. The, the next secret Paul gives is... Um, he says that don't be like the the Gentiles uh, who give themselves over to sexual immorality. And here's the little uh, clue. He says, because they don't know God. They are doing those things because they don't know God. So the reverse is those who know God are able to say no to those things. And that is true. When we walk with him, when we grow in our knowledge of him and uh, the realness of our relationship with him, you get better and better at putting off the old man. You are able to uh, say no to the things that you struggled to say no to in the past, even if it carried over into your Christian life at some point. That's what sanctification does. It means we become more and more like him. And he doesn't want to leave us stuck uh, in that place. If you uh, are thinking that, well, Mark, I'm still not convinced. I don't think pornography is that bad. Um, it's not hurting anyone and um, my life seems to be okay. So uh, I, I'm not going to take this too seriously. Paul then goes on to give us a solemn warning. Okay, And it's not just pornography. We're talking about sexual immorality. So those of you that are stuck in something you know is wrong, um, this applies. There is a solemn warning. God will avenge. He is an avenger. And we see this in David's life. David loved the Lord. Uh, God loved David. But David fell into sexual sin, which led to uh, a murder. And he hid it. And eventually it comes out. And he confesses, he repents, and God forgives him. You see, that's what we go to. We, when we're stuck in sin, we go, but God loves me and he'll forgive me. He will forgive you when you repent. But the part we don't think about is what happens next in David's life. We almost think like if God forgives me, it's gone and it's fine. God forgives you and you continue to walk with him when you've repented. But there is a consequence to and a damage that happens that you can't get away from. There will be consequences. There will be a, 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 
a certain way that God avenges this thing. And in David's life, his son died. And then God said, for the rest of your life, the sword will never leave your family. Um, so his, there was massive trouble within his family for the rest of his life. And eventually someone in your family is going to sleep with your concubines and do what you did in private. They're going to do it out in the open. And every single one of the uh, disciplines that God said would happen for that sin came to pass. David could not get away from it. And it hurt him for the rest of his life. But at the end of his life, when he died, it's written, David fulfilled the purpose of God in his lifetime. And I want to say this to you. This is how I feel about myself. I know that my mistakes and my past has hurt me and it has impacted relationships around me and hurt people around me. And there are consequences to that. I will have to walk for the rest of my life. Do not take this lightly. There is a solemn warning here. There is a vengeance aspect to sin. And God doesn't just let it go off the hook. But he doesn't cast us off. He doesn't chuck us out. We are able to continue walking with him and serving him and following him. And at the end of our lives, even though we had to walk through a lot of hurtful consequences, we're able to get to a point where he fulfilled the purposes that God had for him in his lifetime. Church, we need to take sexual immorality seriously. If we want to be that church I spoke about in the beginning where uh, Things are, are going great with God and we're just filled with the Spirit and so effective in ministry and loving each other and loving God. A big part of that is overcoming one of the greatest challenges the enemy has thrown at the church. And we need to be a church that rises above and looks different to the world. We can't look like the world. The stats on pornography are so similar between those in the world and those in the church. We've got to beat that. We've got to look different. We don't go there because it's not in God's Word and we love God more. The last thing I want to say is that um, in verse 7, it says that God has not called us for impurity, but he's called us in holiness. So there's a preposition change that's important there. Uh, for changes to in. And that's what I'm saying. Earlier, once upon a time, we, le- we were part of the world. We could do no different than what the world was doing. But God took us in sanctification Uh, Once we repented of our sins and accepted what Jesus had done for us on the cross, he placed us into a new realm. And it's an unfamiliar realm. And it's in holiness because it's what he's like. And we're slowly becoming more and more like him. We're going to get more and more used to it. And one day we're going to live in it forever. And that's so encouraging. Church, that's where you are placed. In holiness. Yes, the old man comes back. Yes, there's things we have to fight off and wrestle with. But... God is faithfully making you more and more like him. And you are in this realm of holiness. And you will be there uh, in eternity with God forever. Perfect. No longer struggling with uh, sexual immorality and sin. So I just want to sum this up quickly. What's happening here this morning? God is calling us to walk with him, to enjoy him, and to grow with him in our sanctification. We've got to get better at putting off uh, the old man. He keeps coming back. It's not just sexual immorality. We've got all sorts of things that come back. Pride, anger, um, the list goes on and on and on. But we want to look less and less like we did before and more and more like Christ. And that happens as we put off the old man and we put on the new man. This is God's will. 
So he wants this to happen. So when we work with that, we're heading in a good direction. Um, be careful of letting things into your life that you think are okay, that are outside of God's word, especially in the sexual area. It is the number one area holding us back. And one day we're going to be flying as a church because of our sexual uh, purity and because of our spiritual maturity. And we're going to experience blessing and fruitfulness in ways we've never seen before because we are coming to God more and more like him with clean hands and with pure hearts. We've got an amazing moment now. I'm going to hand over to Joe. He's going to lead us in a time of uh, communion. And I really want you to uh, consider as we head into the summer communion, consider your walk. Where, where are you? How are you doing? Are you parking off in sin somewhere, refusing to bring your life into line with God's word and happy just to have him floating around a little bit nearby? Are you in step with him, in obedience, walking with him, following him? Are you passionately doing that even more so and more so and growing in that? Or is he slowly getting further and further ahead of you because your walk is becoming a little bit more lethargic? When we look at the bread and the juice this morning, we need to remember that our walk is based on what Christ did on the cross. None of us can come to God apart from that. That's how we come to God uh, on what Jesus did and it's finished. Our sin has been dealt with. That's why I can come and uh, walk with him in repentance. And now we need to surrender our hearts to God and say, God, I want my life to reflect yours. I want to be more and more like you. Let your will be done in my life. Make me more like you. Over to you, Joe. Thanks, Mark. Thank you so much for that message. Um, and a good morning to you, Sterling. Before we head off into a time of worship, we're just going to pause and do some communion together as a church. And uh, if you haven't gotten your elements ready yet, I suggest you just pause this video, go and fetch them, get everything set up. And once you're ready, uh, press play again. Uh, but just a reminder that part of the reason why we do the Lord's Supper is that it might stir up in us worship for Jesus by cherishing him and treasuring him through remembering what he has done for us on the cross. And so we want to do that. We want to get our hearts ready for worship a little later by just starting to worship him now by recalling the wonderful things that Jesus has done for us on the cross. And so I've just got a verse for you this morning. It's found in Galatians 5 verse 1. It says the following. It says, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand, for there, stand firm therefore and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. Um, for freedom Christ has set us free. He has set us free from two things. He has set us free from the slavery of sin. He has set us free uh, from the condemnation of the law. He has set us free from the slavery of sin. We once had a master and it was called sin and it instructed us to sin and we did. We, No matter how hard we tried, no matter how much we tried to will ourselves to be better and live to a certain standard, we could just not break off this yoke of slavery of sin and we kept on sinning. But because of the death of Jesus, we have been set free from sin. So sin no longer has a control over us and we are able to live in this freedom of sin. We are free from it and we are able to live this righteous life for the glory of Christ. But there's a second element to it and that is we have been freed from the condemnation of the law. Uh, we once uh, we lived under the tyranny of the law and we had to achieve a certain standard 
and uh, and we often, as a result of not being able to live right, uh, felt guilty and shameful because we were just unable to achieve the standard of the law. But because of what Christ has done for us, he has not only set us free from the slavery of sin, but he has also set our, conscious, our conscience free as well. Um, we no longer have to feel shameful. We no longer have to feel guilty because we have had our sins paid for through the death of Jesus. And so what are we are to do with this? Well, we are meant to go and live for the glory of Christ. Stand firm and live in this freedom. Don't go sin no more and live as the sons and daughters that we are called to go and live. And so this is the wonderful, wonderful work of what Jesus has done for us on the cross. And uh, so what we're going to do now is we're going to just take a moment. And I want you to close your eyes and just spend some time just dwelling on the fact that you have been set free by Jesus and he has called you and adopted you into his family as sons and daughters of the living God and just rejoice in that and treasure him for all that he has done. So let's do that for a moment or two. Lord, I am incredibly grateful that it is through your son, Jesus Christ, that we could know you um, and that you have revealed this Jesus to us. We are thankful that you would love us with such a firm, glorious, uh, never ending love that you would come after someone and, some, and us as wretched as we are, you would still love us and uh, that you would not only just say, there, there, everything's going to be okay but rather you would demonstrate your love through Jesus Christ and set us free from the bondage of sin and uh, set us free from the guilt and shame that we carry so that we might live in freedom. And I pray, Lord, as we partake of these elements, that those truths uh, will penetrate our hearts, that we will be a people and a church that stand firm in the freedom that you have bought for us on the cross for the glory of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. Let us eat and drink together. Amen. Cheers, guys. Have a fantastic day. Enjoy worship. I hope that it stirred your hearts to just praise Jesus for the wonderful, glorious, gracious King He is.